And Tiffany will be in the back when we're finished if you would like to visit with her. She also has prayer cards if you want to continue to follow her in prayer and keep in communication. The, the address and so forth is on the prayer cards, so uh, that'll be after the service today. We're going to ask the kids to make their way to junior church at this time, and we're going to turn to Romans chapter 11 as we finish up the section of Romans. Romans chapter 11, beginning with verse 25. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And thus all Israel will be saved, just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient in order that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Do you ever puzzle over what God is doing in the world today? you ever wonder... What direction is society heading, and, and what does the future hold? As we have looked at chapters 9 through 11, we've gotten a glimpse of just a little bit of the wisdom of God. But I, I wanted to call your attention as we had that last song there. We don't fully understand God. He's infinite. We just understand a small part of what is going on, of his plan, of his purpose. We look back over history. We wonder what in the world has happened and why events have happened as they do. And there are many theological views and attempts to interpret history and current events and scripture. But the important thing is, what does God's word say? That's what we need to come back to. Men have their systems of thought and so forth. But what does God have to say. We want to look first of all here this morning at the revelation of God's wisdom. Uh, Paul begins by talking about a mystery here in, in verse 25. A mystery in scripture is not a whodunit story like we're used to. We, my, my wife likes to write mystery stories. Uh, she has quite an imagination. She's not here so I can talk about her today. <laughs> but uh, that, that's not the idea in mind that Paul has when he uses that term, mystery. It is something that has not fully been revealed before in, in Scripture. And we have several mysteries in the New Testament. One of the reasons for that, uh, I was reminded this week of Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 there. Uh, somebody shared that verse with us at our, our Bible study, and uh, I thought, boy, that just fits what 
we're saying here as far as the mystery is concerned. It, it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. The secret things belong to the Lord. We will not fully understand all of God's plan and God's purpose. He, he reveals enough to us. Uh, and as someone has said, the things that I wrestle with in Scripture are not the things that I don't understand. It's the things that I do understand. That, that's what belongs to us. That's where our responsibility is today. All the bits and pieces were there in, in the Old Testament. Back in First Peter chapter 1, Peter says uh, in verses 10 and 11, as to this salvation, he's just revealed our salvation there. He says, to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them were indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which have now been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Notice what he says there, that the gospel was there, the pieces were there, but the, even the prophets couldn't fully put it together in their thinking. And yet God has revealed that mystery to us today through his spirit. And Paul has been revealing a measure of God's plan and purposes here. Uh, he does so based on the fact that he believed that God exists. He believes that God created this world in, in which we live. Uh, that there was order and wisdom involved in the in the world in which we live. We see a measure of his wisdom, his skill, his artistry, artistry as we look at creation. It's all around us. The, the, the testimony is there. Whether you use a telescope or a microscope doesn't make a whole lot of difference. The, the testimony is there that there must be a creator God. Uh, sadly, today, in so many of our churches, we have started with the concept that science has to be right. And so you've got to make the Bible fit science. When just the opposite is true. The Bible is right, and we have to make science fit the Bible. This has been, I, I watched with interest what has happened since Mount St. Helens. So many of our scientists, as, as they have seen what has taken place in, in our lifetime since, was it 1980 when it blew its top there, uh, they've, had to re they've had to change a lot of their theories and, and their thinking and their timing and, and so forth there. It, it, it again demonstrates the fact that, you know, you've got to start with the Scripture. Don't start with science. Start with the Scripture. Come back to what God says, and, and, and you'll be on safe ground. I, I was reading an article yesterday, I believe it was. And we, we have a lot of articles on dark matter, black matter, black energy in the universe and so forth. They just came out with a new theory on that, and that is that it doesn't exist. <laughs> and so they're, they're, our astronomers are rethinking their, their whole system of thought in, in that area. Wouldn't it be simpler just to go back and read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and, and, and take God at, at his word there. So God has given us a glimpse here of a mystery, of the wisdom that he has that is far greater than anything we can imagine. We've been looking at that since we started chapter 9. The wisdom of God as it relates to the nation of Israel, 
the wisdom of God as it relates to us as a church. And he sums it up for us in these verses because this is the end of the third section of the book. We've looked at the wrath of God. We've looked at the work of God. Now we're coming to the end of the wisdom of God. Next week we'll start the will of God. But uh, ending here, the note on the wisdom, he sums it up by saying, first of all, he looks at Israel and he says, a partial hardening has happened in Israel in verse 25. Israel was the people of God. It started with his word and his promise to Abraham. And then down through the centuries, the Old Testament traces the history of of the nation of Israel as the means to the Messiah, the one who was to be not just Israel's Messiah, but the blessing to the whole world. Remember, he said to Abraham, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. One of the purposes of the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 19 was to be a kingdom of priests. They were to reveal the glory of God to the surrounding nations. Now, they didn't do that, uh, but uh, that, that was one of the purposes that God had for them. Psalm 24 says the earth, the world is the Lord's, all of it, not just the nation of Israel. It all belongs to him. And so he wanted his glory to be revealed to the world there. They failed, and that led to a a hardening in Israel. Uh, He he says two things about, and that hardening came because of unbelief. Uh, Two things about that. It was, first of all, a partial hardening. Why a partial hardening? Because down through the centuries, there has always been a remnant of believers in the nation of Israel. You come to the days of Elijah, and and they were worshiping the golden calves. Baal had been introduced into the land, and, and you know, Elijah felt sorry for himself. He fled into the wilderness because Jezebel had threatened his life, and he's sitting there on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and the Lord appears to him. And he says, what's the matter, Elijah? And Elijah tells him what's the matter. He said, I'm the only one left. You remember what God said to him? He said, get up and get busy. I have 7,000 yet in the nation of Baal that, or in the nation of Israel that haven't bowed their knees to Baal. You're not alone, Elijah. There, I have a remnant out there. So it was a partial hardening. Even today, there are those amongst God, the, 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 the nation of Israel, people that worship God. All right. We, we have a missionary couple that we, we support, the, um, Peter and Laura Gitlin, that come from a Jewish background, and yet they're worshiping God as, as we would worship God as well. There, it's also a temporary hardening. Notice that little word in verse 25 there. He says, until. Until implies there is coming a time when God is going to again work with his people. He's going to step into their lives and their He's going to remove that hardening. God is not finished with his people yet. He is not giving the promises that he made to Abraham to the church. He is giving them to Israel, and they will remain with Israel as as their promises and their blessings there. But that leads, as he mentions here, to the fullness of the Gentiles. For a time, because of the hardening of Israel, God has set the nation aside. God is dealing through the church, reaching the Gentile nations, that's why we send missionaries to Nicaragua. That's why we send missionaries around the world. This is the time when God is is calling out a people unto himself throughout the whole world. You get a glimpse of that in Daniel chapter 9 where you have the 70 weeks there. There's a break between the 69th and the 70th week. Now, if you read that passage carefully, that those 70 weeks are for the nation of Israel. 
there comes a break. And that's the church age. And when that fullness comes, when that last soul accepts Jesus Christ as his personal savior or her personal savior, when, when his work is finished, as far as the church is concerned, then the Lord returns and calls his church to be with himself in, in, in glory there. And at that moment then begins the salvation of Israel. When the Messiah comes, and he quotes here, verse 26, he quotes from Isaiah there, Isaiah 59. He says, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. That hasn't happened yet. That's not happening because of the church either. That, that is something that's going to be involved the, the nation of Israel. We get a glimpse of that in uh, Zechariah. When the Lord returns, he sets down on the Mount of Olives. It's split in two. At that time, the people see the one whom they crucified. They, they see the, the nail prints in his hands and his feet, and they will repent. And they will turn back to, to the Lord in that moment. Notice one of the keys to this passage is verse 29. He says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Uh, the King James Version, I believe, puts it, are without repentance. Without repentance. The word literally means they cannot be revoked. Uh, it, it's a serious passage when, when we consider what, what is being said here. If God can break his covenant with Abraham. If God can take all of those promises and transfer them to the church, then what hope do we have that he won't do the same thing with us? Because as I look at the church in general today, it's not getting better and better, as, as some have, have said. So, some individuals are, we're going through that process of sanctification, but by and large, we're moving toward the days of Laodicea, where God said, I'm going to spew, spew you out of my mouth. If God would set aside his promises to Israel, then we would be in danger of the same thing. And yet Malachi chapter 3 says, I am God, I change not. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, he says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Again, I go back to that song. The infinite God, he has spoken. And because he has spoken, it will happen. He will keep his word. He is the almighty. There is no one that can thwart his plan and purpose. It is absolutely impossible, Hebrews chapter 6 says, for God to break his word. And we can trust in that. We can rest in that today. And that will happen for the nation of Israel, as I said in Zechariah chapter 12, actually verse 10, when, when the Lord returns, all based upon his mercy, his grace there, as, as is revealed in verses 30 and 31. And you know, the same thing is true of the church. You have been brought into the family of God. Why? Because of the mercy of God. It's not something you did. It's not something you earned. It's not of works. It's all of grace. It's all because God was merciful to us. In Romans chapter 5, it says God commended his love toward us in that while we were what? Yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we come the same way as, as the nation of Israel. We come by faith in the work of Jesus Christ. God's great plan encompasses not just the Jews, not just the church, it encompasses all. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe today. 
So that leads to the response to God's wisdom. The first time I preached through the book of Romans was in Little Wet, British Columbia, my first church, uh, too many years ago to tell you when. But uh, it, uh, uh, when I came to verse 33, I said, you know, this almost sounds like a hymn, a song. And I, I said, you know, somebody ought to put some music to that. And I had an older gentleman in the church, uh, a remarkable individual. He was in quite a bit older than I was. Uh, he was in his 70s, and, and yet he taught us how to play tennis. Uh, he didn't just teach us how to play tennis. He lived down the canyon about 13 miles. He would ride his bicycle up and down the hills, come into town, spend two hours teaching us how to play tennis, and then get on his bicycle and ride home again. Uh, he was in fantastic shape for a 70-year-old. Uh, I, I look at myself today and I think, how come I'm not like that? <laughs> but uh, I'm not going to attempt to, to ride that far on a bicycle. But uh, he took up the challenge. And, and he actually, the next Sunday, came with the music and, and we sang verses 33 through 36. So if, if you, you're musical and you want to set it to music, I'll let you sing it next week. Uh, it... it, it uh, it can be done there, but it's an amazing few verses here. The depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul was overwhelmed when he considered who God was and what God has done. Now, I'm sure in his mind, perhaps he was reviewing the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. I counted it up this week. We have spent 31 weeks in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And we're not done the book yet, and I got a feeling we could go back over those 11 chapters and spend another 31 weeks and still not learn it all. It would overwhelm us. And so Paul, as he considers the work of God, the will of or the wisdom of God and so forth, he's just overwhelmed here. And he realizes Colossians chapter 2 says, in him, in Christ, dwells all the, wisdom, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you and I just understand just a small part of that. He's just revealed enough for us to keep us going, keep us moving. He says, you know what? His, it's unsearchable, unfathomable here. It is beyond our comprehension. Isaiah realized that. Isaiah chapter 55, he said, uh, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my Ways high, greater than yours, my thoughts than, than your thoughts. Praise the Lord. We have a God who has that infinite wisdom and infinite knowledge. And he is in, in control of his church. He's in control of Israel. He's even in control of the world in which we live. We may not understand what he is doing. Do you, you read the newspaper sometimes and puzzle over what's happening. Is happening just the way God is directing. God is the one that is ultimately in control. We don't need to explain away his word when we don't fully understand it. We accept it by faith. I don't know how he created the world. I, I, I can read the account in Genesis and he spoke the word and it happened, but how did it actually happen? It, we don't need to know that. All we need to know is God was at work. I don't know the reason for everything that touches my life. I'm not even going to speculate on the reasons for the things that touch your life because that 
that's way beyond my comprehension. You, you've got to decide what God is doing in your own life. I, I have enough trouble taking care of myself in, in those areas. But I am confident that we have a God who does. A God who in his grace has loved us. A God who in his grace has extended his mercy and his salvation to him. And so he comes to the conclusion in verse 36. And I think you need to spend some time on that this week. Go back and reread these last few verses because I think he nails it for us in, in those few phrases in verse 36. It says, for from him, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God was there. God created the heavens and, and the earth. In Ephesians chapter 3, it speaks of the fact that every family derives its name from him. He is the foundation of it all. It all comes from him. And then he says it's through him. It's his plan, his plan for Israel, his plan for the church. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is all through him. Uh, I remember years ago, we were in a missions conference when we were serving as missionaries up in Canada. It was a conference for missionaries uh, and we would bring in a speaker, either somebody from Multnomah or somebody from Prairie or, or one of the Bible schools, and they, they would minister to us for a week. One week we had Ellie Maxwell there from Prairie Bible Institute. Uh, Ellie Maxwell never wanted to go by the title doctor. He certainly had earned that degree, but he, he didn't feel the titles were right. So I'm just going to refer to him as Ellie Maxwell. But uh, he, he spoke of the fact that he had been down in Minnesota visiting some an old Swedish couple that that he had been friends with for years and they asked him how are your children doing where are their children at and so he explained what they were doing and so forth and, and he says you know i marvel uh that they turned out as well as they did because i i am gone so much of the time and he said i guess it's just the grace of god the old lady swedish lady looked at him and she said mr maxwell it's always the grace of god uh, what, what a tremendous reminder that was to him, and he shared that, that with us. It's always, it's through him, it's through his grace. That, that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Don't get the exalted opinion of yourself and say, look at me, look at what I did. No, it's the grace of God that is at work in your heart and your life today. It's from him, it's through him. And then he says, it's to him. That sums up, I believe, why we are here. We may not understand fully his plan. We may not understand fully his purposes. How many of you have a trial going on in your life today that you just kind of scratch your head and say, why me, Lord? I, I, I don't understand what's going on or, or, or why the, this is happening. It's happening because it's to him. It, it, he says, to him be the glory forever." And ever. That's what he's doing. That's what you and I are here for. It is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter two, verses nine and ten says, We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people there. Now that that's you, that's not me. <laughs> now, it literally means the people of God's own possession. And the reason he identifies us that way is so that we are here to do what? To proclaim his excellencies to our generation. To reveal his glory to the world in which we find ourselves today. 
there's a verse we should wrestle with in Second Corinthians chapter four, and that's, it's, I think it's verse two. There, it says, "If our gospel be hid, if we don't don't bring glory to God, if if we hide that gospel, then it's hid to those that are lost. They need to see Jesus Christ." They, they need to see the difference that Christ can make in, in a life. We are here to bring glory to him. And so the challenge as we think of the wisdom of God here is, are we living in such a way that we are revealing Jesus Christ to the world around us? Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it doesn't matter whether I live or die. He said, for me to live is is Christ to die is gain there, but he said it doesn't really make any difference whether I live or die as long as God is glorified through my life. Have you come to the place where you can really honestly say that? Doesn't matter what the trial is. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are as long as somehow God is glorified through me. Are we willing to pray, Lord, be glorified through me? Has that been your... Attitude? Has that been what you have dwelt on this week as, as you went through this, the, the circumstances? Uh, are, are you willing to pray, Lord, somehow show the world through me a glimpse of Jesus Christ? Are we willing to pray, Lord, it doesn't make any difference, the trials, as long as you are glorified in and through us today? As we come this morning to the Lord's table, We are celebrating the fact of what Jesus Christ did for us. I wonder what went through the minds of the disciples from the time of the cross until the time of the resurrection. Did they think it was all lost? What in the world was the purpose of it? What what do we do now? Where do we go from there? And yet it was the resurrection that made all the difference in their lives. As we celebrate his death today let's celebrate it with the idea in the back of our minds that he said i want you to do this until i come he's coming again we don't understand all of the details of when he's coming and matter of fact he said to his disciples they said in acts chapter one is this the time you're going to start your kingdom and he said you know what he very politely said it's none of your business it's in the father's hands and and i'll come when it's the right time there Until then, are we willing to pray, Lord, be glorified through me? Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come to you today confessing that while we spent several weeks looking at the wisdom of God, we still don't have a handle on it. It's so much greater than anything that we can imagine today. And yet we believe that you know exactly what you're doing in our lives In our church, in our community, you are the one who is in control. Give us the faith and the wisdom to simply say, Lord, I'm here for you. Be glorified through me. Be glorified through our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read these words. I receive from the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. He is coming again. We can rest in that fact today. He will be glorified in his church. Our tradition here is that if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you are truly one of his children, that we invite you to come to the table and partake with us. It's not our table, it's his. And so we invite you to have a share in it. The only request that we make of you as, as you partake of the elements is that as they are being served, that you hold them until everyone is served, and then we will partake of them together. But I'm going to ask the men to come at this time. We read the Lord Jesus in night in which he was betrayed took bread. Phil, would you return thanks for the bread? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your broken body and for all of it means for us in accepting God's grace. We thank you for the many blessings that you've given us and we pray, Lord, that we might truly be able to bring glory to
Same way also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. John, would you return thanks for the cup?
Drinky, all of it. I love it when our musicians captures a song that speaks of what the passage is about. All the way. Do we really believe that? All the way he leads us. That's part of his wisdom there. Let's sing All the Way My Savior Leads Me. <laughs> 